You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. In Hollywood, when someone shines a light on what happens off-screen, it's not always pretty. But director Tony Zierra's documentary film worker reveals the best of movie making. It tells the story of the unsung hero, the film worker, whose name appears in the credits after most moviegoers have already left the theater. The focus is Leon Vitale, who at 27 turned his back on a promising acting career to serve as Stanley Kubrick's right-hand man. Vitale, a working-class kid from outside Birmingham, England, trained as an actor and got his break in Kubrick's period masterpiece, Barry Lyndon. Mr. Redmond Barry. The last occasion on which we met, you wantonly caused me injury and dishonor in such a manner and to such an extent as to which no gentleman can willingly suffer without demanding satisfaction however much time intervenes. I have now come to claim that satisfaction. But after that, Vitaly's name goes from the top of the credits to the bottom, casting, costumes, and personal assistant to Mr. Kubrick. Vitaly turned his life over fully to realizing the creative vision of his visionary boss. But for actors of a certain age, his brilliant turn in Barry Lyndon will always hold a special place in our hearts. So that's where I started when I moderated a discussion with Leon Vitale and film worker director Tony Ziera at the Hamptons International Film Festival. Every actor in the world is obsessed with uh, Barry Lyndon. We all would say lines like Leon Vitale, the snarkiest snark in the history of cinema, Mr. Redmond Barry. The indignation, the condemnation, you know? Mm. When he says to you in the duel scene, have you had satisfaction? Mm -hmm. And your response, what's the exact word you say? 
I have not received satisfaction. Not received satisfaction. I actually know friends of mine who have used that with people in bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's this great voluptuous performance in this movie. Leon Vitale, uh, and he go, he's gone. And uh, then as these films come out, you see his name in the credits. like, what the hell is he doing? And of course, this film offers us an explanation to that of like, where, where did Leon Vitale uh, detour into from his acting career? I would like to welcome, please, the director of the film. Please stand up, Tony Sierra. Thank you so much for coming. And please have a warm welcome for Leon Vitale. Yeah. The doc that became film worker started out as something different. Ziera set out to make the definitive account of Kubrick's 13th and final movie, Eyes Wide Shut. The project was called SK-13. Come and sit here in the middle. Now, now for Tony, I want to ask what the genesis of the film was and the idea of making Leon the protagonist. We finished filming it, and Leon was the last person that I went to film with. Um, and really the premise of SK-13, which we haven't started editing yet, was about really what was going on with Stanley towards the end because Eyes Watch is a bit controversial a little bit and I wanted to see if, like, as a lot of people said... Controversial how? Well, they said that he lost it towards the end. Some people said that it was Tom and Nicole destroyed the film and some people said he really never finished editing. And, um, and people were really surprised by casting and just there were a lot of uh, unanswered... Um, so I, I figured in order to understand it, I needed to research Kubrick from all the way from the beginning to the, today and see why, why, why did he really want to make the film? Because obviously he owned the book for 30 years. And so Leon was the last one because I knew he was close to Warner Brothers and I knew he was working with the state and I didn't want anybody to shut me down. So I left Leon last. And then when I met him uh, at his house, I was, well, first I had this image of him that I thought I was just going to get there and there's going to be this nice mansion. And he's, you know, and... and was he, he still, were you still in the UK then? You were in LA uh, by then? In LA, off Venice LA, Boulevard. Right. Yeah. And I just got there and he was just like this amazing, lovely, lovely. And he just came out and he's like carried all my equipment with me and we just hit her off. And I was like, this is like film history lives in that little house by himself. And um, so we decided to put the SK-13 footage away and tell his story because I think he really needs to be acknowledged and honored uh, because it's true. Yeah. So we, um, you know, but at first it's like, because every time I would talk to someone, I did a lot of, I mean, six years on Eyes Wide Shut and Stanley. And the name always came up in different conversations of like, if I was talking to someone about casting, they say Leon Vitale. If I talk to someone about training actors, it was Leon Vitale. If I go to the lab, it's Leon Vitale. I mean, what actor that starts or starts as an actor becomes the assistant and he color corrected Eyes Wide Shut. So I was like, this is too good to be true. It can't, I mean, the level of, of the, the jobs and the, and the stuff that he did. So I had to actually go back to so many people. It was again, like, is this really for real? And I really found that I was, I knew this much because he's really done a lot and he's humble about it. He now, now, Kubrick begins shooting Eyes Wide Shut when? He died in 99. I think it's the autumn of 97 we actually started. Shooting. Shooting, I think, yeah. yeah. And, and the shooting goes on for how long? Oh, 
well, year and a half, year and a half, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were there were a couple of breaks in there, right? But not so not so. long, yeah, 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 yeah. Can't do nonstop for a year and a half. No, <laughs> you can't. No. But 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 the uh, and then he dies in March of ninety nine. So correct. he completed principal photography before he died. Oh yeah, and he completed his final cut. I mean, and he he sent it to New York for Tom and Nicole. And Terry Semmel, who was the head of Warner Brothers right. at the time, and just said, uh, this is it. I mean, all that was left, he'd chosen the music, so all that was left there was to re-record that and, and to fit it in. Um, and basically, you know, just do the, you know, the sort of fine uh, modeling job on it. And, and you know, all the, what can you say? There's so much to do in post-production, especially when you get closer to finishing a movie for release. Um, was this film particularly difficult for him? Well, you know, you know uh, he was getting tired because towards the end, of course, he didn't really spare himself. I mean, right. we wouldn't get back to the house until very often two, three in the morning, you know, and uh, there'd be a kind of a normal call in the, you know, next morning it would be, you know, uh, usual call times and what have you. Um you see, Stanley, actually, we were so looking forward to, sh to doing AI next. I always thought it was so exciting to th thought of uh, working in the studio, you know, and just slamming the door and focusing on just the that shots. there, the shots, and, and no distractions and, and nothing. Um, and I think with Eyes Wide Shut, you know, he, because working indoors is a totally different environment, as you know, I mean, it's... There are no distractions. You're focusing on exactly what needs to be done. And, and there's no doubt about it, he preferred shooting indoors. Any difficulty about, about Eyes Wide Shut he had, I think, was really more story and trying to sort of work it in a way that it would mean something you know, to people now. But pre-production took a year. And it often took that long with him. One of the interesting things about Kubrick for me is he made films so rarely that when you saw him, he'd aged quite a bit in between films. Kubrick is round and kind of full-bodied and a thick mane of brown hair. Then you cut to five and six and seven years later, and it's a different Kubrick, and then a different Kubrick. And he, and he looks withered. He looks tired. You know, he mm. looks older. Yeah. He wasn't a health nut is what I'm saying. <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, but I think uh, just this, uh, what can I say, this ongoing, uh, it's almost like a grind, but not in a negative way. But everything... It's like Ahab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Obsession. obsession. What's interesting in the film that I love about the film is that this film reveals that there's things he couldn't do or wouldn't do, and that's what fell to you to do. You know, he, he, if there's 10 things you need a director and a director who's producing and so hands-on at his own or her own films, that individual is so hands-on. If there's 10 things they're going to do, he would do five or six of them on the deepest level. Yeah. Then the other four of them, he relied on someone else to do, and that fell to you to take care of the little boy and to, uh, to, 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 and to, and to do a, a myriad of jobs. Forget all the technical jobs. Forget about you as, a, as his uh, curator. Of his, of his film stock and so forth. In the documentary Film Worker, my guest Leon Vitale describes what a taskmaster director Stanley Kubrick was. If anything ever went wrong, he said, 
It is your responsibility to make sure they understand exactly what you want. That could take two, three, four, five, six tries to get it right. If I felt like I wasn't getting any response or people were kind of, uh, for want of a better phrase, digging me around, you know, saying they're going to send something and never get sent and you've got to chase them up and chase them up. He'd say, okay, Leon, tonight you get on the phone and you say to them, if they're talking like that to you, they're talking like that to me. It really felt like there was a, a kind of a loyalty there. So sometimes... And did you, did you, when you came on the first job with him after you did Barry Lyndon, uh, you shot Barry Lyndon over what period? You shot that over for nine years? I'm kidding. Um, you shot that what years? Um, I was actually told I'd got the role, and I went down to uh, Salisbury where they were shooting in the January of, God, what was it, 73? Something like that. Um, time, time has no meaning when you've worked with him, you know, <laughs> um, 73, and I was supposed to be there for um, 13 days or eight weeks, and in the end I was there until the end of July, 73. So um, after that, of course, it was an incredibly long cutting period and, and what have you, um, and then he'd, he rang me because I'd, I'd actually done another film job. I think we saw it there. You went back to acting. Frankly, I went, I went to acting, and I thought I could use what little clout I had to con my way into... Uh, the editing room. The editing as you room. say in yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that, so you were, were you in the editing room for Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And what, what does he make next? After, after, after Barry Lyndon, what does he make? I should know this. Shining. One. He makes The Shining. And he sent me that book. He sent right. me a book. Uh, I told him what I, I, I was doing. That <laughs> so I, I love that. So as an actor, you go make 10 films while he's thinking of his next film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, oh, come with me and make my next film. <laughs> That's right. And you start yeah. The Shining, when, like 1980? Uh, no, 1977, when I was sent out to here, to America, to look for Danny. And then he called me towards the end of that process. I mean, there were, it took seven months to actually... Uh, not to find him, but to make sure there wasn't anyone better than him, because I'd found him very early in the process, right. funny enough. And um, so just towards the end of that process, he said, well, while you're there, go and take some interior photographs of hotels. And I started doing that. And uh, that got, you know, that wasn't, I thought it would just be going and take a snap of a room, you know. But it wasn't. I mean, we were talking about exposures and you got to do this, got to do that. And I, but I, the only thing I'd ever had was an Instamatic, you know. But it was wonderful because he sort of stepped me through it step by step. And he said, by uh, the Time Life uh, series, photog photography books. And so I did that. And so I was kind of reading those and learning. And then he was telling me. And so towards the very end, just before we came home, he rang me. And, uh, and he said, what are you planning on doing after you finish here? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, okay, then you're coming to London. And that was it. I mean, suddenly I'd, I'd got a, a, a job <laughs> again. Right. So, so there's some people who are missing from the film, in my mind, or who don't appear in the film, either Tom or Nicole, to talk about the Eyes Wide sure. Shut experience, or members of Kubrick's family. Uh, would, would, did you approach any of them to do the film, or...? Um, I'll be honest and um, say that it, it's really hard if you watch, I mean, you just saw the film, um, 
Ryan O'Neill is there because Leon was his co-star. Uh, Lee Ermey obviously owes pretty much everything he has for Leon and, and he's always working. Um, we go into the status issue and a lot of people are not interested in filming with you to talk about an assistant. And uh, so obviously Ryan would do it because they were co-actors. A um, lot of people um, in Hollywood either, it's either not going to get the truth uh, or they didn't know what was going on on the set. And big stars are like, they're wrapped up in their own world. They're really not aware of what's happening because they show up. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do. Um, so very little, they would really know what's going on with um, the assistant who's running around and um, doing a billion things out of their, to do. Out of their mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What and about his family? Family is the same thing because um, I don't think they were going to sit with me again and say, well, you know what? Yeah, Stanley was really difficult and he tortured Leon. And I mean, it, again, I mean, you have to be objective. It's right. um, I did approach some. I wasn't, you know, some won't say who, but some felt that like, they, you know, they'd be undermining Stanley if they appear. They knew the truth, but they just not going to sit in front of the camera and say, yes, this man done all this stuff. So in the end, he finishes Eyes Wide Shut. He cuts Eyes Wide Shut. It's his final cut, and he dies soon after that. And the controversy is about uh, about what? Not the final. Was it about protecting the final cut, or was it about how it's going to be printed, the film, the, the, the technology of that? Where, where you stepped in and helped to ensure what? Well, first of all, we had this... Um, we were... In the midst of uh, running tests with stocks, different stocks of film for printing and what have you, uh, so we resolved in that. In post. In post. I, I, um, we talked about it and uh, we'd favoured, we were already sort of favouring one, um, one kind of film in particular and we'd started sort of working with it and experimenting it so I knew that was the line we were going to be taking there and uh, things like all the the rest of it with the uh, foots and the foley and the this and the that. You know, all those things, I followed the same pattern as we did on Full Metal Jacket as, as close as we could, you know, different films and what have you. But um, it was just to follow a pattern. You know, I, I'd hate people to think that I just think, you know, wow, I came up with all these ideas and blah, blah. You know, it was that Stanley sort of had a way of working and I was able to stick with it because it was so clear you know, and it sounds crazy, but the criteria was to uh, you know, wipe out whatever ideas you might have had about it. Was this shop, could it be more this or more beautiful or, or more contrasty and get it right? You know, just stick with what I knew he wanted and whereabouts he wanted it to be. Here again, Tony Zierra's documentary, Film Worker. Assumption that people think, oh, somebody's an assistant for someone. You're doing layouts. Mm. You're, you know, you're working with laughs. You're working with restoration. You're mm. uh, casting people. You're working with the actors. And sometimes I'm acting. Was that the title you were happy with, or was that you knew? Didn't make any difference. It? You know something? When I traveled abroad, and I used to have to fill in these visas, they used to say occupation. I always used to write film worker. I mean, I'm a film worker. I'm a worker. That's what I do. So assistant to me is nothing other than I am assisting somebody to fulfill 
what it is they want to get up on a screen. I was dialogue coaching. But, but seeing what you do to kind of barnacle yourself to that ship to work with someone like that, I, I'm, for one, look at this film, and I was just in tears when I watched this film the first time on my computer because it was like, God, it was worth it. You said the goal was to got it right. Do you think you guys got it right with the movies that you made? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> you got it right. That's Leon Vitale and the man who made a movie about him, Tony Ziera. The documentary is called Film Worker. Another director with a reputation for respecting the men and women behind the scenes is Chris Columbus, maker of many of America's favorite family films, from Adventures in Babysitting to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That respect has deep roots. My future was basically working at either my father's aluminum factory or my mother's automotive factory. And the only escape, really, were movies back then. And I would watch whatever film came into town over and over. And I remember something clicked when I saw Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hear the rest of my conversation with Chris Columbus at Here'sTheThing.org. Coming up, more of my conversation with Stanley Kubrick's assistant, Leon Vitale, on the lack of women in many of his films. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. In his new movie, Film Worker, Tony Ziera has documented the whole messy process of making a Kubrick film. A man as obsessed as Stanley with controlling the shot might not have been pleased. Even though Ziera's documentary, Film Worker, is an inspiring story, there's one thing I and others have noticed about Kubrick's oeuvre. One thing I want to ask both of your opinion of, which is, of course, there are almost no women in Kubrick's films. And uh, uh, women, uh, with, uh, the, with the, when you look at uh, Lolita, obviously one is a young uh, sexual object uh, tormenting him, and the other is his kind of silly, uh, her silly mother that has to be dealt with a certain way. And from Paths of Glory on, you know, you've got some flight attendants as they're taking the space shuttle up to the, uh, in 2001. You don't have a lot of women in feature roles. Then you get to Nicole, obviously, and there's the, a the big feature role in Eyes Wide Shut. What do you think that was about with him? Actually, you know, researching and talking to Leon, he said the greatest thing to me, which is he said that Lolita, which is, she was, the, she is the one that actually, she was the hero at the end. She's the one that walked away and got it all figured out. And you could elaborate on that afterwards. Um, but even the past glory, the last scene with Christiana, Kubrick's wife, I think when the women came in, they were there for a very strong um, message and they kind of turned things around uh, you could see obviously in Eyes Wide Shut but I think Leon really had a, he could really talk about that a lot, lot better than me really. what do you think do you have any movies on the drawing board that were from a woman's point of view ever or no mm, uh, <laughs> no I wouldn't I wouldn't say he, I don't think he ever thought about making a movie about you know a man or a woman or a man's world or a woman's world or Whatever, I mean, it, it was always a story first that caught him. And then very often, sadly, you know, the protagonists in most literature up until recently have been, it's all been male, basically, you know. Um, but this is what I've always, I've always said. You know, if you do look at Lolita and you do think about what that poor girl went through and even, you know, she wasn't in great harmony with her mother either, um, but she came through it all. She got through it all. She was pretty tough at the end of it, if you look at it and you, you think about it. And she walked out, for want of a better word, a winner. He died in, in prison, you know. Um, you know, Sellers' characters, <laughs> one was shot and the other she escaped from too. Um, in, in The Shining, who survives? I mean, Shelley Duval, she survived. With, with her little boy, and um, and and so I and I think the when you think about Barry Lyndon, you know, who survived and and kept, you know, even though he'd wanted he he tried his best to destroy it, she actually kept her standing and her, you know, her what can you call it, her, her position in life, her status, and and what have you. So, you know, I I really do. I don't think he thought about it in sort of 
feminine, chauvinistic sort of terms. And when you come to Eyes Wide Shut, it's definitely, it's definitely Nicole's role the, who is the stronger one. I mean, from the very off, you know, when he's getting ready to go to the party, and the first thing she does is, you know, she tells him where his keys are and blah, blah, blah. And as they're leaving, <laughs> she looks them up and down like, just like that. And it sort of told me everything, just that one gesture, you know, that she, she's, she's looking at him, she's checking him out, and she's the one who thinks about things and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it's, I never thought about his films as being chauvinistic at all. Was giving a good performance in a Kubrick film a difficult thing to do uh, in terms of the pressure and the intensity of it? Did some of them ever come in, without naming names, ever come and confide no. to you and say... What the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> well, I, I, I'll start off for, uh, and say very briefly, you know, there's a scene there uh, where I talk about how he used to um, rehearse this. I mean, he'd kick everybody off the set, just keep the actors, and just go over it while he was trying to find his first angle. And from that first angle, everything else would flow from that. But to find that first angle was so difficult for him. It really was. The first shot was so difficult... And because he was finding it so difficult, we were running it and running it and running it and running it and running it. And gradually what happens is you drop all pretense about acting. You're getting there in a really normal, natural kind of way. And, and the way you know, people don't always stand there and think through every word before they say it in, in life. And nor do these people, not at all. So the acting uh, process starts to go away and erode and you just start to be you start to become and then of course we shot a lot of takes and so you know you would get pushed into that direction which was was working when Stanley thought you were ready to shoot um, and I know that a lot of actors don't like the thought of doing that I mean they they want to come in and and do it straight off there Jack was someone who could do that but always they had long discussions. They go off for walks around the set and talk, and talk about, you know, what they were doing. And I think, you know, when you look at uh, The Shining and then you look at, which is a Eastwick, which he made quite soon after that, you, you kind of see that I think Jack was sort of a... Uh, he'd kind of seized that feeling of being able to not act mad but or eccentric, but to be mad and eccentric. I mean, it wasn't an acting job. Not really. And I think that's one of the reasons why none of Stanley's actors ever got any kind of Oscar recognition or or even nominations because they weren't exactly acting. They were actually being. You, you'd done it a million times. Mm -hmm. And you didn't remember your dialogue. You knew your dialogue because it was right inside your soul, <clears throat> your gut. What you say, that idea of the, the, that repetition thing is so real because... The, that the, you see actors who have that insecurity and that fear, and they know that time is uh, uh, like a hand at your throat, and you're sitting there shooting and you want to get it right. Do you think that uh, when you talk to him, I don't want to go too far on this limb, but do you think when you talk to him and spend time with him and you are around him, could you see little moments throughout the arc of the post-Barry Lyndon career that you think he missed acting? Was he ever have his doubts about giving up acting? 
Yeah, we did talk a, a lot about that. From, from well, I mean, you. obviously, well, he got his gift in Eyes Wide Shot when he got the phone call that he is Red Cloak. And, and yeah. a lot of people didn't know he was. Actually, that was Leon. Um, but uh, as he said, he just, the phone call came in and it's like, you're doing it. And I also talked to other people that he was supposed to dub his voice because it's just impossible to get this amazing voice behind the mask. And Stanley called and said, nope, I'm keep, you, that voice is original voice. It's not dubbed. It's just as Leon done it because Stanley just loved how he delivered it. So, yeah, actually, he, uh, Leon, he, we did talk about that. And he said that actually the one time he missed the acting or the few times was... Um, the scene on the stairs, you take it from there. Yeah. No, yeah, the scene on the stairs. <laughs> shining. It was shining. And give me the a, bat, Wendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, give me the bat, Wendy. And that's a real, it's another example of where, you know, Stanley had taken them through the process so much, so much, that when Jack started, it looked as if he was overplaying it a little. But the more he did it, the more he felt he could relax and he became more terrifying for it, you know? It's quite incredible. And, and just a little point here, a little thing here, which, um, well, I, I, I was living with a girlfriend and, um, and I was doing a lot of television work and she would keep on saying, what time are you going for practice? And I thought, no, darling, it's rehearsal. It's called rehearsal. Yeah. But she never stopped calling it practice. What time are you going to be back from practice? And, and I kind of suddenly kind of thought, well, wait a minute, especially in television, it becomes a little bit that if you're not careful. You know, you, you learn the lines and you set it up. And it's, it has to do with time as well, time and everything else. But people do arrive sometimes, this is how they're going to do it. And that's, you know, what's going to happen. And nothing can happen that'll change it or make it surprising or, and it can happen with stay on stage. It can happen anywhere. But it is that thing that, you know, it, a process is different uh, to some people don't need it. I mean, some people don't need it. I was raised Stanisarsky, <laughs> the point of a better word, you know. Um, but some people don't need it and you don't always need it for, you know, a sitcom that lasts 30 minutes. But, you know, it's there and it sits, it sits deep and so that, you know, ability to be, to be able to shift and and immerse yourself in in that way is just wonderful. It, it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, so yeah, that's that's really it's so hard to explain. But you, you know, what well, I mean, yeah, to yeah. talking about acting is really not not the most fun thing in the world. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I did a sitcom for a few years, and we would do the sitcom. We'd say our job is to get right up to the edge as close as we can to really bad acting. Yeah, to go yeah. as far as we can. <laughs> um, let's take a couple questions while we have a little bit of this juice here right here. Did you ever think about directing yourself? Um, yeah, I guess I did, and I found stories that I thought, oh. I'd really like to have time, you know, to really get into this and research it and and write it and, you know. So, um, but it's a time thing and sometimes, you, I know, for me, you see, I know my focus has to be 100% on what I'm doing. And uh, it's I hate the thought of having to work at anything piecemeal. Um, but um, as time's gone on, yeah, I suddenly realize that there's a lot of time has gone by <laughs> and a project like that. So I don't know. I mean, of course, I thought about it a lot, and I think about it now. Did, did Kubrick ever believe that 
that living in England hurt his career, that if, if he lived in New York or in the States and could really go to dinners and go to meetings and pressure these people so he wouldn't be having the shitty full metal jacket display at the video store and he could have things more his way. It's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Did he ever feel that way? Uh, no. And we talked about, we did talk about that a lot. I mean, he, he just said, Leon, I'm not one for going back. You know, and um, he liked England because simply because he could push all that away from him. You know, he kept all he kept all the visits to a minimum, and he wasn't going to be having to turn up at a meeting or a meeting turn up at his place. He could more or less dictate his timetable. Okay, over here, right, one, this gentleman right here. Oh, yeah, this lady. Here we go. Sorry. You talked in the film about the set designers having this breakdown, and I was just wondering how involved you got with the set design. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about these intensities that happened with the um, set designers of the film. I can't say I was actually deeply involved in, in that side of it. I was there with Stanley, but the detail is so important. And with Stanley, you, you always felt... If there wasn't a detail there, it's because he didn't want it there because that's how you get at this continuity thing too. You know, Stanley's a, one, there's a shot of Jack in, in a room typewriting and there's a chair and in the next shot there isn't a chair and that's got to mean something. And it's no, because he changed his angles and he thought the chair fucked up his job, his shot. You know, I mean, it was as simple as that, basic. But, you know, I think for people like Anton first, who, who was set, you know, production designer on, on Full Metal Jacket, and, 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 you know, I think all of them, very exacting, because they actually have to take material and shape it into something. Shot it in some, like, the, the bombed-out ghetto of London. Right. Full Metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was like some distressed... Yeah, it a, well, it was a gas station, and the beautiful thing about it was that a lot of the buildings were designed by the same French architects, who did a lot of work in, in Indo-China. And so we just went around, and they grew defunct, and they were going to uh, put, build a freeway through it, and so he just said, do what you like. So we went around and blew it up. <laughs> let's take one last question right here. This, this, I never no thought use, of sir, that. Right there, <laughs> with the glasses. Let's, let's do a quick question. Here we go. Did you know his chauffeur, and what did you think of his documentary? Oh, uh, yeah, I knew. Yeah, I knew Emilio, of course. Uh, but I haven't seen the documentary. What does he say? That driving to work in the morning, he gave Stanley all the ideas in the car? <laughs> you need to put a 40 on there, Stanley, and got to come well, right actually, over the troops. Alec, actually, everybody I shot with, they all think they were the only ones that did everything for Stanley. And they all feel or felt that they're the ones that were tortured. But literally, honestly, like from here to England to Sweden, this man was really came across constantly. Uh, he was the guy that really pretty much did everything. And sometimes it makes other people that were there furious. But he really deserves it because it is the truth. Well, let me just say that on behalf... Let's hear a round of applause here. On behalf of the film festival, this has been our 25th anniversary year. I saw this film, a link that they generously sent to me to watch this film uh, a while back, and I fell in love with this film. I've been a great admirer of yours. I love you in that movie. I worship you in that movie. And I want to say once again, thank you both to Tony. Thank you. Uh, and, and, to, and to Leon for coming with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Whether or not Kubrick's approach to directing actors was more method than madness is something Leon and I could argue about. Tony Zierra's documentary, Filmworker. It's about Stanley Kubrick and Leon Vitale and everyone who sacrifices sleep and sanity to make great art, whether their names get remembered or not. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.